Welcome to Philosophy and Faith, where our goal is to help you navigate your intellectual and spiritual journey, especially in regards to topics like God, faith and doubt, meaning and purpose, and more. I'm Nathan Beasley. And I'm Daniel Jepson. And together we discuss the big questions that humans have wrestled with for thousands of years. We're glad you can join us. All right, today we are looking at the four worldviews and discussing the philosophical category called epistemology. That's a big word. Yeah, isn't that a fun word? Yeah, what's it mean? <laughs> I mean, don't you just get excited each day saying, I, I wonder if I can learn about epistemology today. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons we're... Because I don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> sure. One of the reasons we want to do this through the lens of the four worldviews is because it makes it more clear, I think, and I think more interesting to look at each of the categories rather than just saying, okay, we're going to have a podcast talking about epistemology or several episodes. So yeah, we're going to look at the four worldviews in terms of epistemology. What would they teach about epistemology for the most part? Cool, cool. So what does it mean? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> it just means the study of knowledge. And again, like most things, it comes from two Greek words, knowledge and study. So it's a study about how we know things and whether we can know things. So those are the two main questions. Can we know things? And what are the right ways to know things? And part of that then is going to be logic as well. So logic fits in to epistemology because it deals with how we know things. It's one way of knowing things. So why why is this such a big, important thing to talk about? <laughs> this is crucial to us because we are beings who act upon our knowledge. But we also have to think about what that means. Can we act on our knowledge? Can we actually have that kind of knowledge? And we live in a culture, especially now, where many more people are saying, no, you cannot know truth. You cannot know objective truth. And we are also living in a time and culture where people who would not say that are elevating other decision-making factors like will, value, beauty over intellect and logic and the ways of knowing. So it's important because it's something we all do, but what philosophy tries to do is to get us to think about that in a reflective way. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what are your goals for this discussion here then? The goals for the discussion are primarily to understand how each of the four worldviews would answer the basic questions of epistemology. Can we know and how can we know? And then through that, we understand a little bit more about the concept of epistemology. But more importantly, we're able to evaluate those four worldviews a little bit more clearly. So that's the ultimate goal is that we can say, all right, out of these four worldviews, this one seems to make the most sense intellectually. So it has the most coherence, the parts fit together, it doesn't have self-contradiction, it has the most correspondence with reality, and it's the most livable. So those three criteria we've talked about before, coherence, correspondence to reality, and livability. Yeah, and that's some good criteria, so I, I appreciate that. Shall we go ahead and get started in, into these? Yeah, let's do it. So let's talk about monotheism. And again, if you haven't listened to the episodes before, monotheism, sometimes shortened to theism, is the belief in one God who created the universe. The main variations of that are Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, what do they have in common? What makes all three of them, even though they're different religions, a common worldview, is that they answer questions about these categories, like epistemology, in a similar way. They would say two things. 
First, yes, you can know truth. The human mind is able to rationally understand the world that we are in. We may not know all the facts about everything, but the human mind is the right instrument to understand reality. It fundamentally works. Now, obviously, not every mind works. It doesn't work to the furthest extent. We can't maybe solve everything. But we can have true knowledge about the questions we're asking. For example, is there a God? What should we do? Uh, what is beautiful? What is right? Those kinds of questions we can have true knowledge about. So all of them would say, yes, we can know objective truth about important and even metaphysical concepts. Metaphysics just meaning the things that go beyond this physical world that we're in. And so the follow-up question there is, okay, so how can we know? Right. I think most people in this tradition or this worldview are going to give primarily four answers. One is reason. So reason or rationality, we value that within this worldview. And this is a little bit more distinctive, is the idea of revelation. Revelation like the book of the Bible? Uh, no, it's not. Actually, let's come back to the definition, and we'll, let me give the other two. Okay. Reason, revelation, experience. So just what we see with our senses, what we experience in this world, and then tradition. Okay. Yeah, I'd love for you to define each of those for us. All right. So reason is just the capacity of the mind to make judgments about things that it does not immediately perceive. Is that the, the logic piece you are talking about earlier? That's part of it. So anytime we make a statement that goes beyond our immediate sense experience, like, for example, that the boiling point of water is 212 degrees. Have you ever tested that? No, but people have. <laughs> right. But I haven't. And it's not my immediate sense. I'm interpreting that from other data. Gotcha. So science kind of is built on a framework of reason. It's reason interpreting data. Reason interpreting data. Okay. And so the data is going to be uh, classified with empiricism, or I called it here experience. So you're running tests, you're experiencing, experimenting with certain tests to see if there's a pattern. And then the, the reason element of that is interpreting that and saying, yeah, when you do this over and over again, it turns out this way. And so we can say that there's a certain percent certainty, that kind of thing. Yes. Okay. And in particular, it's about more purely, it's about the things that we have immediate sense perception of. In the history of philosophy, one of the great debates in the last four to 500 years has been the question of should we value reason over empiricism or empiricism, sense experience over reason? And there's been a geographical schism in this. So the continental philosophers, those on the mainland of the continent of Europe, were primarily rationalists, that they valued rationality over experience, whereas the English philosophers were primarily empiricists. That's super interesting. Yeah, it is. And there's historical reasons for that, but I don't think... We I, would, I would love to dive deeper into and how geography played a, played a part in that, if it did. Sure. That would be fascinating. So we've got, in the realm of knowledge, we can understand things through reason, through empiricism or through sense experience. And then I think you gave two others, revelation and tradition. Right. Tradition, I think, is fairly self-explanatory. Tradition is something that all the worldviews are going to value to some degree because we simply can't know all things and do experiments on all things. So we have to rely on the tradition of people that we trust. But the worldview of monotheism places a little bit more value on that, perhaps, because we have this received tradition and so there are things that we have received from sources that we trust that we value maybe a little bit more than another world view. And that bleeds into then what's called revelation. In a way, revelation is a type of tradition. 
because we receive it that way, but it's fundamentally distinct as well. So Revelation, yeah, yeah it doesn't mean the book of the Bible. <laughs> the Revelation of the Bible simply means the things revealed to St. John in his vision when he was on the Isle of Patmos. But when you talk about Revelation in theology or philosophy, what you're talking about is that this is something revealed to humanity that they would not know otherwise by someone who is not themselves a human being or limited to the world that we are in. Gotcha. Can you give some examples or an example of that? Sure. Well, obviously, the most familiar example is going to be the Scriptures. So when it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that. The Jewish people have believed that. The Islamic people have believed that. Not because we have direct sense experience about that. Not because we have simply used our reason to deduct that but because we believe that that has been revealed to us by God himself in this case. I see, I see. So there's a tradition of holding the scriptures as something that are revelatory. Yes. Is personal revelation also part of this? That's a good question. I think perhaps for a person's own journey, perhaps that can be part of this, but I don't think personal revelation has any weight beyond that person's own own journey. (laughs) In other words, if you told me God revealed something to me that I had to believe, I'm not going to. But that's not the case when we talk about the prophets of Scripture or the gospel writers saying God revealed something to them that we have to believe. Right. So here we have the choice to believe in a tradition that goes back thousands of years that these ideas of the Scriptures did not solely arise from humans, although humans had a part in shaping that, obviously, but also that somehow God revealed that. Another way to think about Revelation is, you know, picture us in this room right here, right? Say that we, for whatever odd reason, had always been in this room. Okay. We were born in this room. We live in this room. We don't know anything beyond this room. And so we would not know, especially if we don't have any windows, that there's a sun outside, right? You're right. We would not know about trees. We would not know about grass. We would not know about uh, buildings exterior to our own. If we're in just this room with no windows and no doors, we would not know those things unless someone came into the room. Maybe they unlocked the door, if there was one, and they spoke to us about things that we did not have experience of directly. That's the idea of revelation. Okay. And again, that's going to be distinct then from the secular viewpoint, which I think we could probably label materialism or naturalism. Okay. So do we want to go into that one? Yeah, but just to kind of summarize, so from the theistic perspective, we say that you can know truth and objective truth, and the way that they can approach or understand that objective truth is through reason, experience, revelation, and tradition. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Let's go to naturalism then. All right. So naturalism, the idea that there is no God and that the universe has nothing outside of itself. When you look at the four ways we talked about with monotheism, obviously one of those is ruled out of court, right? Revelation. Yeah, the room illustration speaks to the metaphysic that there is somebody outside who can interact with what's inside the room. I mean, that's an analogy of transcendence, right? Right. And so with naturalism, there's nobody outside the room, just the room is all that exists. Exactly. So there's not going to be anybody outside who can come and interact and reveal things. Right. Gotcha. Okay. And so you have to interpret everything solely on naturalistic as opposed to anything supernaturalistic means. 
So in this perspective, you'd still have reason, obviously, and, yeah. and empiricism, and you'd still have tradition. Yes, you still have those three. And what's especially valued and argued about, like I said, has been reason, I'm sorry, has been reason versus empiricism or experience. Yeah, we seem to have this cultural shift where we, we're very skeptical, I feel like, of traditions. Like, okay, just because people have always believed that doesn't mean that that's necessarily true. We have to look at everything through the lens of uh, reason and uh, experience. Is that true? Well, yeah, but obviously it's a matter of degree, not of totality. Okay. So, I mean, you and I don't believe some things on the basis of tradition, so it's not like Christians believe things just on the basis of tradition. And certainly someone who is an atheist or a materialist does believe some things on tradition because they have not done the experiments or had the first-hand knowledge themselves. It's more a matter of how much it's emphasized rather than it being there at all. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, reason and experience are, are going to be valued then as the most important thing. And there is a difference within the tradition of secular philosophy of which of those you're going to value more. And there's also an ongoing problem in this, and that is the question of whether you can actually find truth on the basis of those things alone. And that has been the biggest issue in philosophy in the past 300 years at least. Wow. And the reason I say that, I could be wrong. This is my opinion. But the reason it's my opinion is that we have moved in the West over the past four to 500 years from the viewpoint of monotheism forming the basis of our intellectual thought communally to a naturalistic perspective. But the question is, can you also have confidence that you can find truth on that basis? And that has been a problem question, perhaps the problem question of the last three centuries in philosophy. Certainly in the area of epistemology, I think that's the most important question, the most important issue that's been at the forefront. And we're going to dedicate a whole future episode to that, aren't we? Yeah, I'm thinking we will because it's an important enough question with enough nuance that I'll summarize it here, but to do it justice, we should probably do another episode. Maybe we'll do it right after this one. Okay. But basically the question is, how do we know if we have these two tools primarily of reason and experience, how do we know that they work? How do we know on naturalistic premises? So there is no God and we're not creating the image of God. So I should back up. Under the monotheistic worldview, the human mind is made in the likeness of God, who is a rational being, uh, who created this world rationally. Therefore, it's congruent with theism that the human mind works rationally. Yeah. Now, if you get rid of that, though, if you get rid of the idea that our mind is created by a rational being, then you start to have problems proving that our mind could actually understand reality. Think of it this way. If there is no God, how did we get here? On a naturalistic perspective, how did we get here? Say from the, the Big Bang. All right. And then what happened? How did we get here? So it's a super small sliver of possibility that life happened, but then over time, as things evolved and developed and grew, that which was most fit to continue living, continue to procreate and develop different kinds of... How right. should I say this? Oh, let me just let me just throw the question back at you. <laughs> All right. So that's a yeah, that's a good question. What what do you think? Okay. So on a naturalistic perspective, there is no God, there's nothing outside the universe, this is the whole shebang. 
then the only answer that you can really give is that it arose by natural processes alone. There are no supernatural processes. This wasn't intentional. It's not purposeful because there's no purpose there. So we know that we exist now and that we can think about things and make truth claims and we have consciousness. And if we also believe or accept the premise that all this had to occur by natural means alone, then we have to account for our present state on that basis alone on natural processes. So we have to believe then that at some point matter either arose or was eternal. Either way, we don't have a reason or a rationale for that. Somehow that matter, in a way that we've never seen before, organized itself into life. So we have life coming from non-living things. So again, that does not mean that life is inherently able to understand rationality. But then further than that, you have the unguided evolution of mankind by natural selection alone. Now, you have that then what you find out is that every organ of the, of the human body, including the organ of the mind, which is going to produce the thoughts, has been shaped by natural selection alone. And if that's true, then how do we know that it's selected to find truth and not just usefulness? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and that's what we'll delve into. Or another way to put it, and the Christian worldview or the theistic worldview, which came first, rationality or humanity? rationality. What about on the naturalist viewpoint? Humanity. Yeah. Because no one was reasoning before humans got here. There, I mean, maybe animal problem solving, but in terms of what we would call rationality, it did not arise until after mankind began developing. Hmm. So it's not something beforehand that's there that we conform ourselves to. It's something that arises as part of our natural selection alone. And that makes it problematic to trust it. Yeah, because if it comes by natural selection alone, we don't even know if it's really fit to give significant or good answers to these kinds of questions. Exactly. Gotcha. And that's what we'll delve into a little bit more deeply. Okay. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a good conversation to delve into. So would it be good to move to Eastern thought? Yes. Although, again, I'm not an expert and Eastern thought is very broad. Yeah, of course. So monotheism, to summarize, you can understand reason, revelation, experience, tradition, secularism, there's no revelation, but there would still be empiricism and reason, of course. And then Eastern thought, are they thinking about it along those same kinds of terms or are those terms pretty much just Western terms? Well, yeah, pretty much. Obviously, we're going to have terms like that, but we have to be careful. We don't interpret them in terms of our Western concepts, what those things mean. From what I understand, the most basic idea within epistemology is this idea that ultimately the oneness that you are seeking goes beyond what we would normally define as knowledge or knowing or even reasoning. It's strange because the goal can be defined as enlightenment, knowing. Mm -hmm. Or Buddha uses the example when people asked him, you know, what are you in this enlightened state? He says, I am one who is awake, who is awake to certain truths that he wasn't before and that most people aren't. So there's, in one sense, there's a high value on knowing. That's actually your salvation. In a sense, it's coming to be enlightened, to know, to be awake to the knowledge that uh, all is one and that reality as we normally interpret it is maya, an illusion. So there's that. But then along with that, 
the knowledge that we normally have about things is also part of this maya in a sense. To say something either is or isn't is a form of duality. And the one that we're supposed to be searching for and, and communing with and eventually brought into is beyond duality. So the most basic teaching is that there is no duality, and yet to say something is or isn't, or even the law of non-contradiction, uh, is a type of duality. So I'm a little puzzled on how that all works together myself. But from my understanding, you have a goal of knowing, but it's not an intellectual knowing. It's more like a mystic communion. Uh, and there is potential devaluation of what we would normally describe as human reasoning, especially making distinctions. So in terms of how you find knowledge, I would say it's primarily reason, mysticism, and intuition. And there's also obviously a great deal of tradition going on here as you receive the tradition. But ultimately, it is this inward union with the ultimate truth, not an intellectual apprehension of certain truths that that's your goal. So is intuition just kind of like gut feeling? Like you don't see it, you don't touch it, but you just know like, I feel this. Is that is that what that is? No, I don't think that's quite it. So if you ever had a time where you were in a state where you were, well, I would describe it as communing with God or you were communing with nature and you were deeply at peace and it just seemed like what you were thinking right now and, and the state you were in is exactly what you should be. Mm. And then you had a thought about reality or about someone or something, and it just seemed to fit right in with that elevated state. I'm not describing that very well, but from what I understand, it's more like that. So like in inward consolation, perhaps, or just peace? Yeah. Maybe think of it another way. You ever been enjoying a moment with your spouse and you're just maybe sitting on the couch and cuddling or holding hands and there's this inward joy and rightness and there's a part of you that says, this is right and this is good. Yeah. So intuition is in moments where you're, I mean, I, that kind of makes me understand the oneness where it's just like, this is just good. It's just right. Yeah. And that's not as much an intellectual declaration as some sort of soul affirmation or intuition. So in secularism and monotheism, there is an element of that as well. Sure. Because intellectual is just not pure logic and reason. I mean, there's a way in which it resonates with us internally. Right. But this is a really high elevation of that, maybe even above reason. Yes. Yes, I would say that. And along with that is mysticism. So that very much ties in with that because I believe the intuition is primarily what you get from the mystic union of various levels. So mysticism is a big fuzzy word, but basically what it means in philosophy or theology more technically is an unmediated communion with God. It's not mediated through the church or through the sacraments or through the word or even through prayer necessarily, but it's unmediated. Perhaps the closest is the, the communion you would have between a man and woman in bed. So that would be an immediate union between them instead of a mediated union where they're, they're things they have in common or whatever. So that's primarily at the heart of mysticism, what I mean here. So in the East, that's an immediate union with? With the one, ultimately. Okay. 
So in the East, that's an immediate union with the Atman. Well, the Atman is what's inside of you. Okay. So you're thinking probably of the Brahman. The Brahman, yeah. yeah. And then from a monotheistic perspective, that would be that would be God. Yeah, again, it's not a personal God. Right. It's more the right. idea of the oneness. The ultimate living force that is in all things and is all things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is. And because of this, then, the way that you primarily get knowledge, practically speaking, is through meditation. Okay, now, how does that work? So or what's the connection between meditation and knowledge? Well, because you're in meditation, you're putting yourself to be closer in that union, but also, as part of that, you're leaving behind and putting away from your mind the lesser things that would distract you. I see, I see. So meditation is the practice of emptying your mind of the maya yes. in order to move towards the Brahman. Yes, as I understand it, yes. Okay. And that's different than biblical meditation. I mean, biblical meditation has some similarities. You want to put some things out of your mind, but it's so that you can focus on some truth in scripture or as you're praying. So there's propositional truth that you are seeking to understand more deeply in terms of its meaning and impact in your life, what you should feel, what you should do because of that. So Christian meditation, and I believe Jewish and Islamic meditation are focused on that Whereas this is a meditation that's focused on removing yourself from thinking. You're not thinking about a proposition or a sentence or a truth. It's more this inner apprehension of the oneness. Gotcha. That's as best I understand it. And, and again, there's a lot of variations, but classical Hinduism and in most Buddhism, I think that's true. Yeah, waiting for some Eastern philosophers to chime in <laughs> in the comments here. Yeah, they might be a little brutal. It would be it would be interesting for sure. Okay, ready to move on to the last of the four yes. worldviews, pantheism or I'm sorry, polytheism. Right, polytheism. We could also call that uh, paganism, a belief in a multitude of gods within the universe, and usually usually worshiping in some way some of those beings. Yeah, and this isn't just in the ancient tr- traditions, but actually probably on the rise here, at least in the States as well, in, in the forms of Wicca, that kind of thing. Yeah. And we talked about Hinduism and Buddhism and the philosophy of the East, but it's important to remember that many, maybe most people that you actually meet, say in India, are going to be worshiping a multitude of gods. So there is some overlap here then. Well, there's some overlap. But there's also people are inconsistent with their own belief system, just like we are. So even someone who would call themselves an adherent of a different religion, in practice, many of them are still worshiping ancestral gods, gods of nature. They're interacting with with gods like these. So syncretism isn't just a Christian thing. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah, so I noticed in the notes that you've got Eastern thought is kind of Hinduism, like as taught. But then in practice, oftentimes it can be polytheistic instead of pantheistic. Yes. Gotcha. So in this perspective, and this is a hard one because there's probably more variation in paganism than in any of the others, but how would they understand the questions of epistemology? Can we know and and how would we know? I don't know that I've seen anyone from that worldview address the question of can we know ultimate truth? I'm, I'm sure some have. Yeah, but I haven't seen it, so I don't think it's a real live question. Okay, um, it was kind of assumed in the ancient world, and, and that's kind of where I'm basing most of this on. 
the ancient Greek world, the ancient Middle Eastern world as a whole, even into Babylon or Egypt. But I mean, that's still affected the ways that present polytheists would understand their world. I mean, that's part of the foundation of their worldview. So what you're going to say doesn't just pertain to 2,000 years ago. No, no, no. Or 10,000 years ago or whatever. Okay. And in that, I think it was just assumed that you could know truth. And primarily you would know truth by experience and reason. They may not call them that. But also especially tradition. So tradition is going to play an even more important role in this particular worldview than the others. So tradition is handed down through priests, or shamans, other religious leaders, through the generations. That is what forms what you believe. Gotcha. And would there also be some kind of revelation element to it as well? You know, that's a good question, but I think for the most part, not. So obviously you have sacred scriptures in many of these cases, but it doesn't seem to function quite the same way. Okay. For example, Buddhism has sacred scriptures, but... Ultimately, there is not a personal God in Buddha who revealed this. It's more, these are ones that we have especially revered to teach us wisdom. So it's more, in in my understanding, in most of these cases, more tradition when you look at the books or the ancient writings than revelation. Gotcha. Gotcha. In a way that's not true of, say, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Christian New Testament, or the Quran. But maybe revelation in the sense that, okay, we prayed to the god of the Nile or the goddess of the Nile and we caught more fish or that kind of thing. I mean, would they, they would claim that that would be answered prayer or revelation or maybe that's not what we're talking about. Cause... Not primarily what I mean by the term. I'm, I'm meaning about knowledge that you would not have otherwise about the basic or deepest issues of life. Okay. Especially metaphysics. Gotcha. Gotcha. So just because something happened that seemed to maybe be miraculous or the the effect of prayer or religious right doesn't necessarily that's not really what we're talking about we're talking about the the metaphysical questions and that kind of thing right and 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 part of the reason we're struggling here is we're asking metaphysical questions about a worldview that's not really that interested in metaphysics or the questions of epistemology gotcha So maybe to kind of bring us home as we conclude, the one thing that I notice here is that within the theistic perspective, there is actually this idea that our reason and our experience and empiricism, like those are grounded in the metaphysic that there is a personal God who is reasonable and who has created creation in a way that corresponds to that logic and reason and that kind of thing as well as beauty and other ways. And so we, as those who are made in his image, inherit that. And that's kind of unique to the, the theistic perspective. Yes, it is. And it, it's fundamentally different and, and deeply important. That one thing, that there is a rational God who created the universe and created mankind in his likeness, is the fundamental distinction that separates theistic epistemology. Gotcha. Well, any final words or thoughts on any of this before we conclude? No, I, I don't think so. Again, next time we'll look at the question of can materialism or naturalism give us an answer to the question without that theistic basis that we just talked about? Can we trust our own minds to make truth claims even about the statement, there is no God or the material world is all there is, the natural world is all there is? So can they even support their own basic premise 
on the basis of that premise. And that's what we'll address. Sounds good. Well, looking forward to it. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome to Philosophy and Faith, where our goal is to help you navigate your intellectual and spiritual journey, especially in regards to topics like God, faith and doubt, meaning and purpose, and more. I'm Nathan Beeson. And I'm Daniel Jepson. And together we discuss the big questions that humans have wrestled with for thousands of years. We're glad you can join us. Thank you.